All right, let's, uh, everybody, if we can, let's come and find a seat, please. I see some people under uh, three or four feet back there. Come on down if you want to, to come on. All right, if you are here tonight and you did not have the opportunity to partake of the Lord's Supper this morning and uh, you need to be served if you'll make your way back to the uh, little chapel uh, in the back of the foyer there to my left, you'll be served at this time. All right, this is looking a little better than we had last week with so many people going to camp. I hope y'all haven't forgotten the books of the Bible in a week. We'll see, okay? Y'all ready? Genesis.
so happy to have all of you here tonight. It uh, looks like we've got an excellent crowd. And if you're visiting with us tonight, we are certainly uh, honored to have you. And we hope that you'll come back and be with us anytime that you have an opportunity. Just a couple of updates. Uh, Lawson uh, is going to be leading our song tonight for our teachers to go to class. And uh, before we do that, we've got just a couple of announcements. Visitation assignments are now ready. Not right, not, right, not right now, but we'll, we'll work that out, okay? All right. Uh, our, uh, are you talking about to close us out? Well, let me just wait, okay? Let me wait on that just for a minute, okay? All right. Our men's, our men's breakfast is coming up on uh, this coming Sunday at 8 o'clock. Let's have a good turnout for that. And also, if you're interested in going to Cox Boulevard on August the 11th for their singing, please sign the list. Also... If you are 55 years of age and over, there's an opportunity here for you. There, there are these sheets available that will tell you about that opportunity back uh, on the tables in the foyer. I'd encourage you to pick one of those up and just check it out. At least check it out and uh, see what you might want to do about that.
If there's nothing further before we have our song to go to class, let's close in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we are indeed thankful to you for this most beautiful day that you blessed us with. We realize, Father, you give us every good and perfect gift, and we thank you for all these material and physical blessings. And most of all, Father, we're so grateful for those spiritual blessings which are ours in Christ Jesus our Lord. We're so thankful for this congregation. We're thankful for each member. We uh, ask that you would bless our elders as they lead us, continue to grant them wisdom. We pray for all those that are sick, Father, those that are going to the doctor to uh, find out further information about uh, their particular situation. We pray for upcoming surgeries that are going to be taking place as well. Father, continue to bless those who are grieving over the loss of loved ones. And most of all, we're thankful for your son who died on the cross for our sins. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Today I'll be singing Blue Skies and Rainbows, the first verse. Blue skies and rainbows and sunbeams from heaven are what I can see when my Lord's living in me. I know that Jesus is love and the love to That's one thing I always say about the church here. Y'all aren't lukewarm. You're either cold or hot, right? That can be a good thing, I guess. Appreciate Jeremy uh, setting this thing up where it'd be more efficient. So hopefully everybody can hear good, right? Everybody can hear me okay? Because if you can't, you need to let me know. I'll try to do something different, but hopefully you can hear me. As we begin tonight, this is our last class on marriage. And uh, we're going to try to finish up tonight by talking about our marriage vows. You may have heard there was a, a man that uh, 
attended a class and he heard a thought that, you know, you ought to take your wife out on a date like it was the very first date you had. And so he said he uh, took his wife out for dinner and then let her off at her parents' house, you know, just like he did on the first date. So, well, well I don't know how that worked out, but he, he took the advice. All right, we're talking about marriage and our marriage vows in particular. Uh, last week, we introduced these thoughts by talking about the problem of divorce in our nation. Uh, we talked about uh, how few divorces, it seems, there were in 1890 when there were some 5,000. It had already risen to 1 million in 1976. We talked about how that we need to counsel and talk to our young people that are contemplating marriage. Uh, I think this is serious business, and uh, they need to understand that this is a lifetime commitment. It's to last as long as the two shall live. So what I want us to do in this lesson is just break down, I guess, the traditional marriage vows that people are often inclined to say, and to just kind of break this down and emphasize uh, how important uh, these vows are in the marriage relationship. Because sadly, a lot of people today don't take these vows very, very seriously at all. And uh, I'm just going to begin. I, I repeated the vows last week. I'll go ahead and do it just quickly again. Will you have this woman to be thy wedded wife, to live together after God's holy law in the estate of matrimony? Will you love her, comfort her, honor her, keep her in sickness and in health, and forsaking all others, keep thee only unto her so long as you both shall live? I take thee to be my wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward for better or for worse, for richer or poor, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do us part. And unless people can really think about what they're saying in these vows and the commitments that they're undertaking, really, they ought not consider marriage itself. And so I just want to kind of break uh, these vows, these phrases into individual parts and, and just look at them in more detail so that uh, they will have more meaning for us. First of all, will you have this woman to be your wedded wife? You know, not just a woman, not some woman, not just any woman, but will you have this particular individual? Now we know 1 Corinthians 7 in verse 2 says, nevertheless, to avoid fornication, to avoid sexual immorality, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman has, have her own husband. Now that just does away with same-sex marriage right off the bat, doesn't it? Right, there's another verse that we can turn to that shows that marriage never is between two people of the same sex. It's for a man and a woman. And since that's the case, you know, we ought to think very seriously about that, that particular man or woman. Uh, when two people are contemplating marriage, we need to think about things like, you know, what are their interests? Uh, what's their background like? You know, is our backgrounds different? Is that going to cause uh, any problems for us in our marriage? Uh, what about personalities? It, it, how, how's that going to go? Uh, what about morality? You know, if you have two people that want to get married that have totally different moral standards, then that's going to cause a lot of problems. Uh, what about their religious background? Uh, you know, that's very important to understand. You know, th as this family grows, what's going to happen? 
Well, there's children going to be involved, right? And uh, we don't want a house divided when it comes to our religious convictions. And so it's important for our young people in the church to strongly consider marrying those that are members of the church. And I'll take that a step further. I don't think just marrying a member of the church is good enough. It's not, it wasn't for my kids. I, want, I wanted my kids to marry a faithful member of the church uh, because you're just about in the same category uh, if you marry you know, somebody that's not even faithful who's a member of the church as you are maybe somebody who's not a member of the church to begin with. And so it's important to think about these things when it comes to you know, who you're going to marry. I know there's a lot of emphasis on different things today. Uh, like looks seems to play a huge role in the decision that we're going to make about who we're going to marry. Here's a handsome young man and a very attractive young lady and they get married and yet time's going to continue to flow and you're going to see and get to know each other for who you really are, right? You know, uh, people don't wear their makeup all the time, do they? You know, uh, as we age, we change. Sometimes I'm shocked when I go back and I see pictures of me 30 years ago. You know, uh, the, I mean, I can't believe that all that, all this has happened, you know, in just a few short years, but it does. We change very quickly. And therefore, we need to think about some of these important principles. So will you have this woman to be your wedded wife? And of course, that's a wonderful blessing. The Bible says in Proverbs 18, 22, whoso finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains a favor of the Lord. Or you like Proverbs 12 and verse 4? We emphasize this in one of our lessons about the responsibility of the wives being weaver. A virtuous woman is a crown to her husband, but she that makes ashamed is like rottenness in his bones. You know, if she's not what she ought to be, if that spouse is not of the right character, uh, certainly that can lead to a lot of shame. It can lead to a, a lot of guilt and so forth. Uh, Proverbs 31 in verse 10, who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies. The heart of her husband does safely trust in her so that he shall have no need of spoil. She'll do him good and not evil all the days of her life. And so God knew what he was talking about when he said in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18, it's not good that man should be alone. So will you have this woman? And then the vows say to live together according to God's holy law. Not just live together based upon your own personal preference. You know, don't just live together based upon any man's law, but you live together according to God's holy law law. Let's think about that for just a minute. What's God's holy law? What does God say about marriage and the role of men and women in marriage? Well, God's law is that the husband is to be the head of the marriage relationship. And I'm not going to go into this idea that we dealt extensively with earlier about submission and inferiority 
uh, is nowhere inferred when we talk about submission, right? Submission does not mean inferiority in any way. You know, God's laws, the husband's to be the head of the marriage relationship. In fact, if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 3, Paul said, I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Now, that doesn't fly too well in our culture today, right? Doesn't fly too well at all. A lot of people, you know, would try to eat you alive today by even talking about that kind of propaganda. The very idea uh, that a, a woman should ever submit to her husband in any way is just ridiculous. And uh, a lot of people would have a fit about that. But the divine order God has is God first, then Christ and man and woman. And he goes on to elaborate in verse 8. Has nothing to do with the culture of that particular time as some people want to manifest today. In verse 8, Jesus said, or Paul said, For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. And only in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 23 for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is what? The head of the church, and he's the savior of the body. Now, that being the case, when you look at this, a man has some tremendous obligations. And those obligations include the responsibility of taking care of and providing for the family. I don't think a couple has any business even thinking about getting married uh, unless a man can live up to that responsibility of providing for the family. And of course, we know 1 Timothy 5 and verse 8 says, if any provide not for his own, he's denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. And I think the Bible's very specific about the submissive role that women should have in the home. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 22 says, wives, submit under your own husband's how, as unto the Lord. I kind of like to parallel that with the verse that talks about whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. That means when you go to your job, who are you working for? You're not working for your boss. Who are you working for? You're working for God. Do it heartily. You know, you work as if you're working for God. Uh, you know, my dad always told me in my preaching among many things of wisdom, he says, you know, your only goal and your one and only goal is, is to please God. Your goal is not to please the elders. It's not to please the people. He said, if you'll please God, then everything else that needs to is going to fall in place. And so uh, we need to understand that God is very specific about the role that women are to play. It says, uh, likewise, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Now, as we apply this principle uh, about, you know, working your job, doing it for the Lord, what do we do about submitting to our husbands as women? Who are you really submitting to when you submit to your husband? You're submitting to God, right? It's the same principle. And uh, we need to understand that. 1 Peter 3 and verse 1 says, Likewise, wives, be in subjections to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they may also without the word be won by the lifestyle 
of the wives. In other words, that verse says that a wife can actually win her husband to Christ without ever saying a word. You ever thought about that? You ever heard of teaching somebody the gospel without ever saying a word? Well, this verse says it's possible. You know, when a, when a wife continues her godly duty, maybe her husband's not married. I mean, her husband is not a Christian. Uh, uh, Peter says here, by the way she lives her life, by her faithfulness, and by the fact that her husband always sees in her one that God is going to be first, the church is going to be first, over time, it's possible and likely that you may win that spouse over to God. And then that uh, vow says to live together after God's holy law. Part of that law is found in Titus 2, 4, and 5. The older women are to teach the younger women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. And of course, uh, you the older ladies here, you know, sometimes you may be thinking, what in the world can I do to help the Lord's cause? Well, I can assure you, according to this verse, and something that you can't place a price tag on, if you'll mentor these younger ladies, the younger wives, that's what they need. They need role models. Uh, you can certainly uh, help them uh, to know these things. It says the older women are to teach the younger women. And uh, these are things sometimes that doesn't just come naturally. They have to be taught. So I'm convinced that, you know, we in the church just need to go back to the Bible. We need to go back to what the Bible says in regard to how the home is to be. And when you think about the husband being the head and the wife being in submission, should that be a, a difficult concept to accept? You think? Should that be a hard concept? Well, if you think like the world thinks, perhaps it is. But you what? Not if we want to please God. That's right. God's holy law says that love makes submission pleasant and desirable. Remember in Ephesians chapter 5, husbands love your wives. How? As Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And then it says, so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Uh, verse 33, nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as he loves himself. And the wife see that she reverenced her husband. So you see, according to God's holy law, a man loves his wife how? Like Christ loved the church. Well, that kind of love and security and care and concern enjoined by God and his love, that idea of subjection ought not be difficult at all, right? If you think about how a husband is to love his wife. All right, then the marriage vows say in the third place, will you love her? Now, we've already noticed the command to love her already, but what does it mean to love your wife? When the Bible says husbands love your wives, what does that mean? And uh, I think certainly we need to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. As we look at beginning at verse 4 down through verse 8, the Bible there emphasizes how love behaves. Uh, you can see love in action by looking at these characteristics. Love suffers long and is kind. 
Love does not envy. It vaunts not itself, is not puffed up. It doesn't behave itself unseemly. It's not selfish. It doesn't seek her own. It's not easily provoked. It thinks no evil. Love doesn't rejoice in iniquity, but it rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Now, I think we need to understand, and certainly if you watch the Hallmark Channel, particularly, I guess Christmas, I, I've seen Christmas movie advertisements already. Have y'all seen that on TV? Christmas in July. Feels like it outside, doesn't it? Feels just like Christmas out there, doesn't it? You know? But, you know, if you watch some of the, and let me tell you, the next Hallmark movie I watch will be my first. It'll be my first. I'm just not going to watch it, you know. Huh? Oh, she can watch it all she wants to. I don't forbid her to watch that. She can watch it all she wants to. But I'm just not going to watch that. But anyhow. Huh? Alabama what? I don't know if that would make television or not. I don't know. Yep. That might be un unlawful. So anyhow, we'll see. All right. But, you know, when you think about how love behaves here in 1 Corinthians 13, it's not that hallmark type of love, that romantic love necessarily that it's talking about. You know, like love is that feeling you feel when you feel that you're feeling a feeling you never felt before. You know, it's something that's just deep down in my heart and I, I love you. That's not, that's not really the kind of love that we're talking about. It's a part of it, but agape love is what? A decision of the will. Seeking another's best interest. Somebody said one time, uh, getting a divorce because you fall out of love, it's kind of like getting rid of your car because you ran out of gas. You see, the, you see the difference there. You know, I hear people say, you know, I just don't love my spouse anymore. And so I'm going to get a divorce. Well, it makes just as much sense to get rid of your car, right, when it runs out of gas. Uh, you know, you can repent and learn to love your wife again, right? Love is a decision of the will. It's a determination of the mind. It's something that's demonstrated in action. The more we do something, the more it becomes a part of our lives. And so love seeks not her own. It strives to do what's good for another. Uh, love is that endearing quality that as long as I live here upon this earth, I will care for you. I will be good to you. I will provide for your needs. I will be concerned about, you know, your well-being uh, even above my own. And, of course, I always think about the wonderful example of Jacob in Genesis 29, verse 20. The Bible says Jacob served seven years for Rachel. Seven years. And the Bible says they seemed unto him but a few days because of the love he had for her. And so you see how love behaved itself uh, in the action of Jacob. He served seven years, ended up serving a lot longer, didn't he, uh, in order to have Rachel. Uh, but that's what he was willing to do. And then the ceremony goes on to say, will you comfort her? Now we know there's many trials in life, don't we? A lot of things that come up, a lot of disappointments, a lot of heartaches, a lot of reverses in this life. There may be serious illness, even death itself. And we must comfort and console one another during those times of need. The ceremony says, the vows imply that we're going to provide that comfort, even though 
it does require a lot of selflessness, right, on the part of one helping another. But the vows say that we're going to do that. And then the vows say, will you honor her? And uh, how we fall short, I know I do in that regard. Don't condemn her. Don't belittle her. Don't be hypercritical of her, but give her the honor and esteem that's due her. Uh, just like Proverbs 31 that we just mentioned, her children rise up and call her blessed. Verse 28, her husband also, he praiseth her. Many daughters have done virtuously, but you excel them all. Favor is deceitful. Be uh, beauty is vain, but a woman that fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Will you honor her? And then it says, will you keep her in sickness and in health? Now, this is a very serious, solemn, comprehensive promise to make. But are you going to keep her no matter what may arise? Now, in health, right, in the good times, uh, it's very easy to keep that promise, isn't it? You know, when the Lord blesses us with good health and everything is going well. And I can assure you, if everything's going well in your life right now, you better hang on. It ain't going to last long. Devil will see to that. You know, devil will always see to that. If things are going well, I'm happy for you. And I hate to bust your bubble, but it's not going to last. That's just how life is, isn't it? Man born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. And that's going to take place. Uh, but how we need to stress in advance that uh, these two are going to have to be committed not only in health, but also in sickness. Keep her in sickness. Suppose that a Young age, one of the marriage partners has cancer. I think about a lady that I knew, uh, but when she was about 30 years of age, she suffered a, a debilitating stroke and her husband forsook her, left her. She was in the nursing home for many, many years until she died, but you know, things became very difficult and her husband didn't want to be true to the vows that he made and he left her. Or here's a young couple married less than a year and maybe the young woman learns that she has a debilitating degenerative disease and uh, it's really going to make things complicated. Hopefully the commitment's going to be honored that one will continue to give his life and devote himself completely to the care of that marriage partner. You really can't be true to God or true to your partner, true to yourself until you do that. Or uh, here's a young couple. Maybe they're married less than a year. They're involved in a terrible automobile accident. You know, the young husband is permanently paralyzed. That's happened. And uh, that's where commitment comes in. And when marriage occurs, we need to keep those vows, whether it's in sickness or in health, not just in the fair weather, not just in the good times, but even when there's great tragedy that may occur. There ha huh? Yeah. Yeah, when a youngster's being baptized, I always like to ask this question. If a, young, if a younger person, you kind of, you know, they're young in age, do they need to be baptized? I always ask him this question. Uh, 
can we wait till Sunday to do this? Is it okay if we just wait? And they say, yeah, that's fine. They're not really ready, are they? You know, if you need to be baptized, you have that guilt. It's got to happen right now. I cannot wait about that. If you don't feel that guilt, if you don't go to bed at night scared for your eternal salvation, uh, you know, perhaps you're not ready yet. You know, you're not ready to make that commitment. And of course, uh, that's probably good advice. You know, are, are you really going to be true uh, to her in this particular uh, situation? And there needs to be that commitment there that we're going to stay together and love each other and care for each other and take care of each other no matter what may happen. And uh, I think it's good to ask the question, how in the world can two people make that kind of commitment? How's that possible? Well, I think Romans 8 and verse 28 can provide the answer for that. It says, we know, no doubt about it, there's the utmost confidence in it. It's right. We know that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord, to them that are called according to his purpose. And notice that verse does not say in any way that all things are good because they're not. What that verse is saying that all things in our lives, good and bad, intertwined together, everything is going to somehow work together for good but only to those that love the Lord. And that requires your faith and trust in God. You don't know how things are gonna turn out. You don't know how this is gonna end. But you see, you're committed to each other and you're committed to God. And if you love God, you love your spouse and you're willing to understand that even though you can't see how these tragic events can turn out ultimately for good in any way, somehow they will. And uh, that's where it takes faith in God. So, we need to keep each other in sickness and in health. And then the vows uh, go on to say, uh, in the next place, for better or for worse, for richer or for poor. You know, overall, I believe marriage life is better. It's a proven scientific fact, if you don't know this, that married people live longer. Do you know that? Married people live longer than single people. Now, single people would say, it just seems like you live longer because you're so miserable, you know. But it is a, it is a scientific fact that married people live longer. Uh, you know, there's the courtship, there's the honeymoon, there's the happiness, the bliss, and all the great joys. But it's for better or for worse. And sometimes things are worse. Sometimes things may not uh, remain a better road. As the saying goes, marriage is not always a bed of roses, and people need to understand that. Things don't always go that well. Uh, there may be a stay in the hospital. Husband may lose his job. Uh, there may be a sudden move to another state uh, away from familiar surroundings. Maybe there's serious financial problems that, that come about. Maybe there's some uh, extensive problem that uh, comes in the family that just burden our hearts and weigh us heavy. A life is like that. And uh, that's why these vows say for better or for worse, for richer or for poor. You know, it's a lot easier when it's richer, right, than poor. Uh, but uh, both of them have their downfalls and can lead to tragedy. But whatever occurs for better or for worse, they better stay together. I know one thing my father told me and I told my kids as well, uh, that uh, when you get married, you need to understand that this is 
for life. As much as, you know, your mom and I might like you to always stay at home, never would I want that to happen if it means the breaking up of a home. This is for life. You need to understand that this is a permanent relationship. It's the last as the long as the two shall live. And then you think about some scriptural principles uh, that go along this line. I, I love Genesis 24, verse 58, where her loved ones asked Rebekah, Will you go with this man? Her simple and powerful answer, I will go. That's what it means to leave father and mother and cleave unto your wife. We always talk about Ruth 1 verse 16. I think it emphasizes the kind of commitment we need. Uh, Ruth said, uh, entreat me not to leave thee nor to return from following after thee for whether you go, I will go. Whether you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and my God, my God. Where you die, there will I die and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also, if all but death part me and thee. You know, as we think about uh, some of these ups and downs in life and how that applies to the marriage relationship, the poet has said something that I want to share with you that I think really emphasizes this. It says, let me hold your hand as we go downhill. We shared our strength and we share it still. It hasn't been easy to make the climb, but the way was eased by your hand and mine. Like the lake, our life has ripples too, ill health and worries and payments due. With happy pauses along the way, a graduation, a raise in pay. You know, at the foot of the slope, we'll stop and rest. Look back, if you wish, we've been truly blessed. We've been spared the grief of being torn apart by death or divorce or a broken heart. The view ahead is one of the best, just a little bit further, and then we can rest. We move more slowly, but together still. Let me hold your hand as we go downhill. And I think that illustrates the kind of commitment that we need to have one toward another as husbands and wives. We need to have the attitude that no matter uh, what life may bring, no matter what nasty curves life may throw our way, we need to have the determination that together we can get through anything. We'll just simply be true to the commitment we've made to each other and to God. Uh, time's getting away, but let's move on to the next one. It says, and forsaking all others, keep myself only unto you. In other words, you are the only one for the rest of my life. You know, a young man and a young lady ought to make it their goal to enter into a marriage relationship pure and chaste and holy. And then to just say in effect, I'm never going to give myself to another as long as I live. That's what the commitment is about. That's what those marriage vows about. And yet we know that infidelity is a great problem in marriages today. We hear about it all the time. Uh, we see it on Hollywood. We see it as a common practice in the world today. And it's just a problem. Some just advocate free love. Don't bound love. Do what you want to with anybody. Just don't bound love. 
Uh, we even have heard of it as some people recommending switching marital partners. And of course, uh, terms are used today to try to soften repulsive acts and soften sin. We've tried to invent terminology to make sin sound somewhat better. You know, people just talk about, you know, going to bed with somebody or sleeping together or premarital or extramarital relationships. You know, the Bible just talks about these kinds of things as just being sin. Those terms are not found in God's Word. Uh, the Bible talks about this as being sin. For example, in Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 19, you have the works of the flesh. And uh, among other things that are mentioned, the Bible talks about adultery and fornication and uncleanness and lasciviousness. Or in Revelation 21 and verse 8, the Bible says the fearful, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the whoremongers, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars will have their part of the lake that burns with fire and brimstone. And so, you know, we need to understand that marriage is a lifetime commitment. You know, again, that's why when our young people are making this utmost decision about who they're going to marry, they've got to understand that this is a decision that's going to impact them for the rest of their lives. Is this person a faithful Christian? Uh, does this person have the same goals and dreams that I have to live a faithful Christian life and ultimately go to heaven when this life is over? Uh, does this person that I'm making the decision to marry, do they believe and have they been taught the sanctity of marriage like I have and will they fight at all cost to make this marriage work? You know, the common practice today is for people just to evacuate uh, the boat of matrimony whenever it hits rocky waters, right? Slightest little problems. Let's just end the relationship and start another one somewhere. But a part of those marriage vows involve the idea, I will forsake all others and keep myself only unto you. And then in those marriage vows, we say, till death do us part, so long as you both shall live. In other words, marriage is a permanent relationship. That means that a husband at work ought never to have any worries about his wife. A wife ought not ever have any worries about the faithfulness of her husband. Genesis 2 verse 24 says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Romans 7 in verse 2 says, the woman who has an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he lives. But if the husband be dead, she is loose from the law of her husband. And unless two people can think about that kind of commitment, they probably shouldn't get married to start with. And so we need to realize the only honorable way to dissolve a marriage is by the death of one of the partners. Well, we do need to ask the question, what breaks the marriage bond? What breaks the marriage vows? Well, there's only two things. Only two things according to the Bible. First of all, there's the only honorable way we just mentioned, and that's death itself, Romans 7 and verse 2. But Jesus also talked about adultery. If you look at Matthew 19, 3 through 6, the Pharisees came to Jesus tempting him, saying, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? 
He answered and said unto them, Have ye not read that he which made them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Wherefore they are no more two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. And then down in verse 9, so important that we understand this. Jesus said, I say unto you, this is what we are to live by. This is what all men are amenable to today. Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another commits adultery. Whosoever marrieth her that is put away doth commit adultery. Somebody says, well, would you kind of explain that verse to me? Well, whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another commits adultery. Well, what does the Lord actually mean there? What's he talking about? Well, whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another commits adultery. And whosoever marries her that is put away doth commit adultery. It doesn't need explaining. It just needs believing and it needs accepting. And so we need to realize that when adultery is committed, that is a sin. Uh, that can break the marriage bond in a dishonorable way. And therefore, there's no way to dissolve marriage without sin being involved except death. And people need to really keep this law of God in mind as they think about the commitments that they've made one to another. And so I just want to emphasize as we come down to the last few minutes of this particular class, we need to think about our marriage vows. Uh, not because these vows that I've mentioned are inspired, but think about the promises that we've made. We need to think about what the law of God is that a man is joined by the law to his wife so long as that mate lives. And we need to think very seriously about the commitment that we've made one to another. And we promise in our marriage vows and the scriptures teach, and we emphasize this to our young people down front, that there's one man for one woman for life. Now I know we repeat that at Kids Sing a lot, right? One man, I'll never forget my, my son, who's now in the Marine Corps. Uh, when he was in uh, kindergarten, he was asked to say the Pledge of Allegiance and lead it in class. And he got up and said, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, one man for one woman for life. <laughs> kind of threw him for a loop there, you know. I don't know where, but uh, anyhow. He also used to say, roll tide. Go Bulldogs, too. But anyhow. Uh, anyhow, but uh, uh, we need to realize it is one man for one woman for life. And we need to determine that we're going to fulfill those vows. I want to close with a poem here. I'm not too much on poems, and uh, I can't stand Shakespeare or anything about him, but this ain't Shakespeare because it makes sense. So listen to this. It says here, we've supped the cup of sorrow, you and I. We've waited a tomorrow, you and I. We've watched beside a bed, bending o'er a little head, crushed beneath the weight of dread, you and I. We've owned our helplessness, you and I. We've sought God in distress, you and I. We have shed a common tear when no other help was near. We've prayed together in our fear, you and I. Shall we break the ties that bind us, you and I? Shall we put those days behind us, you and I? God has wed with grief and pain. 
Shall we prove that union vain? Shall we go our ways again, you and I? No, for God has joined us through the years. And so I'm gonna close uh, what I'm gonna say by emphasizing the fact that we need to very seriously think about the vows that husbands and wives make one to another. Will you have this woman to be your wedded wife, to live together after God's holy law and the estate of matrimony? Will you love her, comfort her, honor her, keep her in sickness and in health, and forsaking all others, keep yourself only unto her so long as you both shall live? I take you to be my wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better or for worse, for richer or poor, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do us part. According to God's holy law, I pledge you my faith. And so I hope this class that we've had on marriage, I know it's covered quite a bit, but there's also quite a bit we didn't have time to cover. But uh, I, when I was asked to teach a class on marriage, that kind of just opened up the door, didn't it, for several approaches, and this, the, this is the approach that I thought I would take. I hope it's been helpful to you, and I guess starting next Sunday, uh, Ken will be up here uh, teaching what he's been teaching in the Annex, and I'll go down to the Annex, and I'll be teaching uh, those folks about marriage itself. So I appreciate so much uh, the way that you paid attention, and I appreciate the many comments that uh, you folks have made uh, to me privately. Your encouragement has certainly meant a lot. Before we are dismissed, we've got a couple of minutes. Is there any questions or clarifications before we have a prayer? Anything y'all want to add? Anything? Feel free to. All right, let's close with a prayer. Our merciful and kind Heavenly Father, thank you so much for allowing us to be here tonight to study your word. We're so thankful for um, the marriage institution. We're thankful that you have blessed us with that institution, and we're so thankful uh, that you have guided uh, our relationships one toward another through your word. And we pray as husbands and wives that will always be committed one to another as we are to you. We pray for those that contemplate marriage in the future, our children and grandchildren. We pray that we can guide them and advise them in such a way that they will make the best decision possible for their future. Father, we're so thankful for this church, this congregation of your people. We pray that this congregation will continue to grow spiritually and numerically, that we'll continue to be a shining light in this community. And Father, be with us as we leave here tonight. Uh, may we, the rest of this week, bring glory and honor to you in all that we do. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.